Welcome to the audio version of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt, and me and Matt today are tackling a listener-submitted question about dealing with a spooked buck. What should you do after a buck catches on to what you've got going on? We'll just say the high level. So that's what we're going to talk about, and also Matt and I will be sharing more insight and uh, stories and experiences from our past few weeks of hunting the rut. So hopefully you enjoy it, and now I'll kick it over to our previously recorded interview. All right, welcome to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. On the other side of the interweb is my good buddy, Matt Drury. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I'm i taking a much-needed little break from the woods today, so uh, it's good to be here. I hear you. I did it all day or yesterday, and I got my butt handed to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know that I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, so we haven't we haven't chatted really since the beginning of of this you know peak type rut activity period. Um, we've got a good question of the day today, but before that, if you don't mind, I'm kind of curious to hear how things are going for you. Yeah, so a, a lot has happened in that period, and so I went in much like you, you know, planning vacation schedule. And it's funny to say that when this is what you do for a living, right. but <laughs> planning your your time in the woods, and when you have family and all that, you got to map it out ahead of time. So going into what I felt like was going to be the best part of the rut, looking at the moon, looking at just con- the conditions, I felt like that uh, November 6th through the 10th was going to be really, really strong. And then um, there in Missouri, where I'm hunting, uh, the gun season started on the 11th. So opening weekend of gun was 11th and 12th of November. Yeah. So I felt like, all right, I'm going to really hit it hard November 6th through the 12th. And... Um, you know, I, I had hunted a little bit here and there. I really was choosing, picking and choosing my battles because, of course, Halloween and, you know, with the kids and all that stuff, like those aren't, this, this is not an option for me on Halloween night. So, which is, it's fine. It's cool. So I, I was just picking and choosing my battles and knowing that I was going to be gone that whole, you know, seven days or whatever it is. So, um, that same week is the week my lease partner, Adam Wainwright, was coming in to hunt the lease. And in years past, I had always bowed out and decided on my – he never asked me to, but I always decided, you know what? This is the only week he has to hunt. And at the time, we really didn't have a lot of stands on the lease. So I just would bow out for that good part of the rut and I'd go to dad's or, or whatever the case may be. Well, this year, I had set up enough new sets. Me and, and my camera guy, Trevor Walker, we had set up enough new sets and spots and food plots. And, like, I really set it up so that we could both hunt that week and not be pressuring each other on this, you know, when, when no matter what the wind is going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, going into that week, all, <laughs> out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it's showing a easterly uh-huh. hint. And it totally kills us. Like it's yeah. it, like I don't have many spots for an easterly wind at all. And uh, you know, north northerly northwest, that's usually what we have there during that time of year, during the fall in general. And that's like eighty percent of my spots. So I had to scramble to get like a new game plan in place. And so I went into three sets that were already hung that had been there since like, cause Adam had the lease a couple years before I jumped on it with him and uh, a couple former jury outdoors camera guys had set it up 
with him, uh, Aaron Bennett, who's a White Hill Properties agent, and and Tim Sigler, Andrew Andrew Bennett. So it, it's already been set up, and I had just been hunting their stands. And finally, this year, I made my adjustments. Well, those couple stands that I didn't check and haven't hunted in like two years, they're all for easterly winds. <laughs> So like the day before, I think it was, I don't know, it was like Sunday or no, I know what it was. I went in on the sixth Monday, hunting Monday morning. And then during the lunch break, I think is what it was. I went and trimmed two of the sets and then I sat in one of them that evening. Cause that was the first Easterly. And then Tuesday, um, Adam got in Monday night and Tuesday we start hunting and, um, Tuesday morning, I'm trying to think of how this went. It's all a blur now. I've hunted, I don't know how many, like you, I don't know how many days I've hunted this year. Yeah. One of the days we snuck in at like midday to the only set I hadn't trimmed yet. And it's in my South timber. And the, it was like void of activity last year. Like there wasn't a, a deer in the South timber because they were working on the local bridge and the only way like it was blown up right through the rut last year and through the hunting season. So they were coming through my farm, the community to my lease to get around this bridge that was busted. And so the South end of the, of my farm was just hell, frankly. (laughs) So I decided I like, I hadn't put any focus on it this year and that was my mistake not doing that. So leading into this, we're like, like scrape sites, like historic scrape trees. Like I'm seeing no sign on my North timber. Like it's horrible. And so that one afternoon we took the truck and started kind of driving the perimeters and there's sign all over my South timber. I'm like what in the world? I miss, I miss, I'm totally missed this whole section of the farm. And so we, I went in, tipped in there. We went down to this South timber spot. It's just, it's money when you got the right wind for that. And so we went into it and there's sign everywhere and it's totally ripped up and there's super highways going through the timber. And me and my camera guy, Trevor, look at each other. We're like, Oh my gosh, like what did we do? Like total nightmare. We totally missed this. So we trimmed it very quickly. Like the access to this spot is deluxe. It's like maybe 30 yards straight into the timber. Like you come in from up top and you go down, like almost straight down. Well, the path walking into this is what the deer have been using to get in and out of the timber. And it's, I mean, it's a super highway going in. So I hate it that we're walking it, but we, we tipped in there, trimmed a few little spots and by and large, it was good to go. And I think I added a new ratchet strap because we hadn't been in there in two years. So we get out, we hunt it the next morning. I put Adam, uh, we're kind of hunting perimeter stuff because the easterly wind just isn't good for our money spot. And looking towards the middle part of the week, I knew the wind was gonna get good enough. Like the pressure was going to get good enough. Most, most of all, like 30.3, 30.4 that I felt like even though the wind wasn't ideal, that we'd be able to push it in our North timber where we've Adam killed blades and I missed uni and he should have shot a, a uni again last year. Like this is the spot, but we stayed out of there. I've only hunted it once the whole year. And I knew in the middle of the week, the wind, the weather would be good enough to push it. So I was going to stick him in what we felt like was still the best spot where we've had the best encounters. We were just waiting to do it. So going back, I know I'm giving a lot of info here, but just kind of give the history of what yeah, no, it's good. outlook is. So, Tuesday morning, we're both hunting. I put him on a new gate gap stand that 
an easterly, a northeast wouldn't really blow it out. It, it, it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. And we had just hung the spot for the rut. You know, it was going to be a good spot. But ideally, you get a north or a northwest. Just the way it lays, a northeast isn't horrible. So we st- stuck at them there. And then I actually went into that south timber spot. And um, so we get in there and right out of the gate, it's like pandemonium. And it's so thick in there. Like it's um, – what do they call that um, – God, it's like a berry. It's a little small red berry hmm. on these little undergrowth trees. And I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, Otomala or something like that. And the deer just love them. They're just in there eating them. Well, the problem with them is they're tall enough where it doesn't look like from the stand that it's very high or very thick. But when you get down in there and you look underneath it, it's like its own community underneath yeah. the cover. Well, from up high, you don't see anything unless they're in front of you. And we have a decent opening, you know, but they got to be in that opening. So right out of the gate, there's deer chasing. There's, um, there must be a hot doe in there and there's young bucks chasing them. Well, this is where I made my mistake Uh-oh. for the, for the year. I feel like <laughs> we didn't plan. So, Aaron Bennett, who's filmed me a long time, filmed dad, filmed Mark, great dude, works for Whitetail Properties. He killed a nice buck on his lease that morning. And it's a great kill. It's a good buck. And like, we're all excited. And he's like, I'm coming over there and I'm going to show you guys. Let's get together for lunch. And in my gut, I knew we shouldn't get out. But I hadn't seen Adam yet. Like Adam met us at the farm and I barely, I talked to him for like 30 seconds and we got into our spots. So I hadn't really talked to Adam yet. You know, it was like a camp type of a feeling. It's like, all right, let's get together. Let's see. Let's get excited. Let's see Aaron's deer. I want to hear his story. Let's see the footage. So we get out at like, I don't know, probably 11, 1130. And uh, even though I was seeing good movement in that timber, I thought, all right, mid right here at lunch, let's just get down, go meet him, eat get back in as soon as we can mm-hmm. so we got down we go eat <clears throat> we shoot the breeze you know hang out see his buck it's an awesome buck great kill get back in the stand at probably i think i got in by 1 30 and i was hoping to get back in by one it just the way it is we got in at 1 30 luckily access is great we tipped in as soon as i got in the stand we hear all kinds of ruckus commotion we did jump two deer on the way in one doe for sure, and I felt like a mature buck, I, I, but we couldn't see it because of that brush. Oh, but man. I the doe. So we jump in, we climb up the set, it's a ladder stand for Adam or whatever to add a, a ladder stand. So we climb up, and we're not very high off the ground. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking, I just got settled because we got to put out, we put out our infield ozone generators, our camera equipment, three verbs, you know, or two verbs, camera. It's, you know, you know how it is. You yeah. Film. It's just so much crap. So we're done putting that. I literally just sit down in the ladder stand, and this is where the ladder stand part is important. Uh, so I got my release aid on, and 40 yards in front of me, there's a, there's 30 yards, of 20 to 30 yards, there's an opening where where you see great. Like this is my shooting lane. I mean, it's clear. Well, then right after that, it starts getting brushy, but there's one little opening. There's a hole. I see a doe walking through, just nonchalantly walk through. And I went to like total dummy and instinct. I went to point so my camera guy could hear. I go, doe. And as soon as I lift my arm, the release aid tapped uh. the 
metal st- you know ladder and she looks and i'm like don't move <laughs> like you know like like he's not moving i'm moving <laughs> you know instinct don't move so we passed the test she walks by well that gave him enough time to get the camera on that spot he saw her here comes ph following her a foot i mean like as soon as she stepped out of this three foot lane he stepped in and but instantly walked through it like no no time between like i couldn't have shot basically so instantly i grabbed my grunt tube and he's back in this brush but he's only 35 40 yards and they're walking kind of our way and so i throw up a grunt another grunt and then my camera guy goes hold it, hold it, hold it, deer, deer behind us, deer behind us, buck behind us. And then here comes another four-year-old that I have called Kickers, which and by all means is a good deer. I had passed him that morning. He was chasing too, and I had passed him. I just had a feeling about the spot. And he went into that grunt call. He was looking. Well, then he sees PH in this doe, and he goes over there. He scrapes. He rubs. I mean, he's ticked off, and he's make. I mean, he's making the walking the right in front of me, back and forth, making the rounds. And I'm so after he got out of got out like to where he's back in the brush. I throw up another grunt. Nothing. All of a sudden, I hear. They're they're going at it. They're fighting in there, and we had heard some fighting earlier in that morning, and but all we kept seeing were these young bucks, and then that. Uh, four-year-old and so I didn't know PH was there but looking at it now I'm sure it was him and PH going at it earlier in the morning over that doe and then when I got that back down in the set at 1:30, I think I jumped the way that this kickers deer came from I think I jumped that doe and kickers and so he was coming back in to to pick up his lady you know mm-hmm. and so they're going at it. So I rattle. I, I mean, I just bang them. And I don't know if that's going to work or not going to work. I kept thinking if Mark was here, Mark Drury, he'd have killed this deer already. <laughs> <laughs> but it's me. So what do I do? So I'm banging the horns together and I'm, I'm grunting. And then I did a, a like a, you know, the, the growl or rip roar, you know, the rip growl or whatever. Yeah. I did one of those. So I gave it, you know, try to get some intensity in there. And <clears throat> then, you know, I never saw him again. <laughs> so, so I knew they were there though. I knew they were there. So we sit the whole time. This is right as we got in, this is two o'clock. Wow. And so like, there's a three hours left of the day. And like, I'm just jacked. Like I never let my bow down. I don't like, I never stopped holding it. I don't yeah. think. And in a ladder stand, that's not exactly easy. No. So, <laughs> so I'm just thinking he's going to come back out, but I don't want to get too aggressive. He obviously didn't respond you, you know, there's other things happening there. So we wait, we wait. It gets dark. And I say to my camera guy, I go, okay, here's the plan. I've, I think I've seen Mark and Terry do this. This will work. Let's leave all of our stuff. I, re- I remember Ben Rising, actually, of all people, uh, Ben Rising back in the day, a, uh, a deer that he killed. I remember him doing this. We left all of our equipment in the tree minus my bow and uh, our camera. Mm-hmm. And we, so we didn't have to set up the ozone. We didn't have to set the cameras, the verbs, or none of that. Everything else was ready. So I said, let's wait till it gets really dark. Let's sneak out of here. Let's leave our stuff in and let's sneak back in super early, get settled. He's going to be here. We climbed down the ladder. I'm sitting there waiting for the camera guy, Trevor, to get from his stand 
and he's got to kind of go around the tree, bear hug the tree as he's going around it, get on the ladder and then climb down. As he's in the bear hug there, like middle of the tree, <clears throat> I'm sitting down there at the ladder and I'm just waiting and I hear something to my right. I look over 10 steps. PH is staring at me. Ugh. I'm about to pee my pants. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, Oh, MG. I look up at Trevor and he doesn't know what's going on. Cause he's in the middle of a bear hug on this tree, you know? And I look at PH. He doesn't know I'm there yet. And I'm like trying to shrink myself to nothing, but it's not working. Mm -hmm. He looks up. He sees me, looks up, he looks at the tree. And I mean, it's dark, so I don't know that he actually picks anything up other than the fact that he knows something ain't right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like bears in the tree and some black blobs on the ground. He bounds out of there. Never blows or anything like that. He just bounds out. Uh. And I'm just shaking my head like, this would have never happened to Mark or Terry. <laughs> I don't know why, but I always go back to that. <laughs> what would Mark do? <laughs> so. Oh. Nonetheless, I'm like, all right, maybe you didn't realize what's going on. It's still our best option. You know, Adam, th this next morning, Wednesday morning, I, I told Adam he's wanting to get back in that set where he killed Blades. So he's going in there. The wind's not perfect, but not bad. So he goes into the North Timber set. I go back to where we had planned to the same ladder set. We're sitting there. Nothing's really happening. About 9 a.m., I get a text from Adam. I, you know, I said, hey, you seeing anything? He's like, I just encountered PH. I'm like, what? I was like, you're messing with me. He goes, no, I'm not messing with you. I was like, oh, man. So he's on the other end of the farm cruising this flat. And uh, I'm sure we had a little to do with that. So Adam couldn't get a shot. He's he's using a crossbow right now because uh, he had some off-season elbow surgery or cleanup. Ever. So he's using a crossbow, which actually probably helped this cause. He had a better would have had a better chance than I, you know, than he normally would have. Because I have two sets in this North Timber: the set where Adam killed, and then a new set just 20 yards north of him, because all the all the does move where his set is is set up for. Mm. But all the bucks, all the mature bucks, over three years of sitting there, I feel like they always skirt us just a little bit above us to the north. So we set, hung this new set. Well, b between him using that crossbow, I felt like, you know, he, he could use the ladder stand to, you know, to kind of steady it and aim. And he likes that spot. It's his killing tree. So we set him in that spot. And he had a choice here too, but um, he wanted to go with that spot. Well, if he would have been in that other set that we just hung this summer for this instance, I believe he would have killed BH. But nonetheless, he was walking. He was cruising. He didn't have a doe with him. We got footage of it, and he's just walking this flat and uh, going away. And he, Adam rattles. He grunts. He gets his attention. He looks back. But ultimately, he, he just kept walking, and we haven't seen him since. Bummer. And the crappy part about it is, it reeled me in because I was planning on if things weren't happening to go to dad's and, and just let Adam have it and, and, and try to get something done. Cause I was going to dad's for gun season anyways. So let's try to go and get something done. Well, that totally wrote me in the stand at least that whole five days stayed. We never saw him again. The movement got worse and worse. The, the, you know, as they start locking up, basically getting locked down, um, and, and then I never had a chance then debacles at dad's and never had a chance there. So that, 
that was a very long-winded story, but that was where I'm at with my season so far. And I can relate. I, so, what's happening? Uh, funny, a lot of similar things to sort of what you just described there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of uh, give you the really short Cliff Notes version, and then I might be able to expand on things a little bit because some of these things are related to our question. Um, but in short, kind of like you got roped into hunting your lease more than you thought, and you didn't go to Terry's, which maybe is a better chance to actually kill something. I got roped into hunting my Michigan farm instead of going to Ohio where I have a better chance of killing something because, um, because as you know, I've been focused on trying to kill Holyfield this year. So starting on the 24th of October, I started hunting him. Um, didn't see him the first like four or five, six days out there. So I think I hunted three or four days and then I went, I did go to Ohio for two days, but then I came back and starting Halloween night, um, from Halloween night until the 14th of November, I think I had like 10 or 11 encounters with him. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I Twice he cruised by about 60, 65 yards away, deep in this cover um, for one of my typical locations. So I, I hung a new stand to take advantage of that. Um, the next morning, well, that day he's chasing a doe in the thick brush on the neighbors about 80, 90 yards away. Later in the day, I see him bedded with a doe. I watch him for like two, three hours, about 100 yards bedded on the neighbors. Um, then he disappeared. So then I moved to a different stand on the other side of the property because I thought that the doe he was with would probably transition towards the west. They did do that. So like two hours later in my new stand, like 300 yards away, here he is again. Um, he looks like he's going to come right into the food plot to where I am. But like 30 yards before, he stops turns and walks parallel inside the cover does the parallel line of of walking um oh fast forward to the next day i think i saw him chasing again back in this thick cover but i can't hunt in there the next day i hunt downwind of a bedding area back and towards this thick stuff that i've been seeing him kind of coming in and out of a little bit and that morning didn't see much going on um so like nine o'clock passes 10 o'clock passes. Now it's about 11 o'clock. It's kind of warming up, sunny. I've been sitting there all day. Um, and you know, when, when it gets to be those midday sits, you start to lose your focus a little bit. Um, and I was planning on sitting there the entire, you know, 13 hours of the day. So about 11 o'clock, I, I stood up to stretch a little bit and I was leaning against the tree facing to my south. And I pulled out my phone and was kind of paging through things on my phone. And I would look at my phone then look up, scan, look at my phone, look up and scan. And as I'm doing that, I'm standing right next to also my head's right next to my Ozonics machine. So you got that little light noise right there in my ear. So I couldn't quite hear as well as maybe I usually would to would be able to otherwise. So all those things lead me to the point where I finally do hear a little crack behind me. So I turn, look over my left shoulder, and I kind of spin my shoulders and turn on my left shoulder. And right as my eyes get back to where that sound is, I see a deer 20 yards away spin and bolt straight away. And as my eyes focus in on this deer, I realized it was Holyfield. Oh. At 20 yards in the wide open shooting lane. Um, oh. I, could, I, I had my best shot opportunity at him in three years right there. And uh, I was not ready for it. So, oh. yeah. I feel for you. Yeah, it was, it was pretty devastating. Um, it was a real bummer. So uh, the next day, in the, so yeah. So I was pretty frustrated, and 
I decided, you know, I'm going to take a couple days and go back to Ohio because all my kind of like you mentioned how you wanted to spend some time with your buddies at the deer camp atmosphere. Um, I'd been pushing my main Ohio trip back and back and back. So I missed out on my friends who were down in Ohio where we hunt down there. I was missing out on that. So, that, you know, what? I got to clear my head. So I went down there for a couple days, had a really good time. One of my buddies killed a buck down there, which was great. Uh, when I came back, now I had five more days of season before firearms opened. And I think every day of those five days I was home, again, I had encounters with Holyfield every single day. Um, the first morning I had... Yeah, sorry. But we good? Yes. Okay. Um, so those first five days after I got back, again, I had encounters with him every day. Um, that first morning, had him come through in the morning, um, grunting and busting through this thick bedding areas in, but... My shooting lane only extended to about 30-some yards, and I got into some really thick stuff that I hadn't bothered cutting through because it was just like a jungle and didn't think a deer would pass through that. So I'd cut a, I'd cut a shooting lane to this worn-down trail. Well, when he came in, instead of turning onto that well-used trail, he skirted like six, seven, eight yards behind that. So I had him at just under 40 yards probably but couldn't get a shot at him. Um Later that day at like 1.30 in the afternoon, he squirted out of that bedding area with a doe and ran by it like 62 yards. Um, and then, you know, it's just like that. It was just things like that for the next three days. I saw him come out once. I hung a new stand, saw him walk by an old stand of mine. So the next day I hung that or sat in that old stand. He came out um, by the other one. The next day I sat there again. He passes by at 90 yards. So I was I was always one step behind or 10 yards too far away or just uh, couldn't get it done. So <laughs> I got thinking like I'm a failure. Did that ever come through your mind? <laughs> oh man. So many times I'm like either this is the the smartest dumb buck I've ever seen or I'm the dumbest smart hunter like you've ever seen. Like he's so visible but he's always just out of reach or yeah. I'm or I'm doing a really good job of getting myself into the right general area and predicting his general movements but I'm never quite there except for the I mean I had been shooting range twice one of them I just totally mucked up um so that's that's where it is a holy field I, I never did a, spend very much time in Ohio just hunted like three days there and that didn't come together and went up north to our northern Michigan deer camp for a couple of days during gun season had a good time with friends and family up there but not much going there either. So um, now I just got to kind of cross my fingers and toes that he'll make it through this next week or so of, of gun season. And then uh, late season, I'll try to get back after him if he made it. So, so your game plan on how you hunt him change late season, I assume? Food yeah. yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll become much – I'll go back to my kind of drone strike approach that I typically like to try to take. Um, I won't be hunting mornings anymore. I'm just going to kind of wait and hopefully pick the right day or two and um, target him when he hits those late season food sources because the, historically he's been, he becomes again, very active on these late season food sources um, in December. So I think if I just pick the right time and the right access point, um, I think I'll have a good chance if, if he's still alive by then, that's the big, yeah. if. yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I didn't hunt the lease opening weekend. I was at Terry's. Uh, I came back and I hunted, maybe hunted Tuesday. I hunted Thursday. No, Thursday may have been the first day I hunted. Thursday was. And, it, um, I went and sat the North timber set. It was slow. Didn't see anything. Got out and checked all my cards. Cause I, I mean, I'm just dying to know if he lived or not. And he, I got him that same morning at 5am, uh, cruising this 
kind of creek bottom that we have that is impossible to hunt, nearly impossible to hunt. And uh, that a lot of deer use to get around the place and get kind of around the river bottoms in general. So he, he, he made it to the first weekend. But then this past weekend, I couldn't go to Terry's, but I could hunt a little bit. So I hunted Friday and I hunted Sunday. And no, I was out Friday. I hunted Sunday and didn't see any, you know, I didn't see any signs of pH. Uh, I only got to check like one camera. Didn't, didn't see him on that camera. Had some cow, had all kinds of debacles, but I heard one gunshot and it was right at like three thirty four on my neighbor, uh, you know, pretty close. And I, I kept thinking, eh, I wonder if that was him. So I'm kind of waiting to see if he made it through that, that second weekend if it, and our season ends on a Tuesday. So it's, two weekends and then the Tuesday after that second weekend it's over. So if he made it through this weekend, I feel really good about my odds, you know, going into the late season. The issue with me is I don't have a lot of food and they become like after gun season, nearly impossible to see in daylight. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely got to change gears and focus, but I'm now back to kind of like the drawing board on, okay, (laughs) dude, do I, do I actually succeed here or is it, I hope he lives till next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another. <laughs> oh man. They sure know how to frustrate us. Don't they? Yeah. Which I think your question of the day is, is a very similar situation, right? Yeah. I think it, it kind of falls right in line with several of our stories here. So why don't we, uh, why don't we get to that question of the day and then talk a little more? Okay. Hey Mark, quick question here. I've got a buck I'm hunting and, um, try to keep it simple i had pictures of them i hunted a couple times in my tree stand saw those and i heard him blow at a doe and while i was was stuck in my tree stand saturday night and um he scared her out of there and then i uh i waited shut my flashlight in the field didn't see any eyes got down out went back up sunday morning sunday morning comes i sit didn't see anything again kind of a bad morning got out checked my camera real quick on my way out and it was my buck i'm hunting that was blowing at the does the previous night so i called my buddy got his his climber went into the woods where i think this buck was coming from before he got to my food plot and i'm sitting there and sure enough last night he comes walking through about 10 minutes before dark hooking a tree didn't even know i was there he was about 40 yards away from me. I'm with a crossbow, and um, he went to step away, and I took a shot at him, but I missed. How long should I wait before I hunt this buck again? Thank you. So uh, do you want first stab of this matter, or do you want me to take it? Sure. I, mine will be brief. I, you know, I, even though I didn't miss pH, I really mucked it up like he said he did and 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 you know i was on the ground he was on the ground i didn't think twice about going back in there personally and if he missed him totally uh in my opinion chances are he didn't know what the heck that was that flew by him you know if he never saw the guy and, and or smelled him or you know busted him like I wouldn't hesitate to go right back in. Honestly, he may change his pattern a little bit there, but I bet he goes back to it at some point. Like if he never actually sees you or busts you or like I'd go back in, uh, personally, that's, that's my gut instinct. Uh, How about you? Yeah, I think I tend to agree with you. I mean, he may, maybe that, that exact stand, 
um, you know, right away. He might avoid that general area for, for a little while. Um, yeah. But I certainly think that he could be, you know, it sounds like he was very active in that general area over this, this couple-day period. If he, you know, saw him on trail camera the night before and then the next day he got a shot at him. Um, so I wouldn't be afraid to go right back in there either. Maybe shift into a different stand nearby. Um, but I think to your point, the type of spooking makes a big difference when it comes to what kind of impact it might have on the deer. Um, so I think, you know, I think the worst, in my opinion, the worst thing to happen is for that deer to wind you. If you mm-hmm. get winded by a buck, I think your chances are lowest. Then I think a buck seeing you, and then I think a buck getting spooked by like a random thing, like either the sound of something, you know, shooting a bow, but him not really knowing what happened, or, you know, if a doe spooks near him and takes him with her, that kind of thing. I'd say that's the, the least bad of the different options that could could happen there. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, now this, he, he asked this question like a week or so ago. So I think, you know, maybe he's got already gone in there. If you haven't yet, I think, you know, feel free to get after it now by all means for sure. Um, and I also think that, you know, the, the impacts of a spooked deer can also change based on the time of year. So let's say like right now in November, we're, we're still in the middle of that kind of rutting activity. I think this is that time of year you can get away with a lot more. So even if you spook a deer today, you know, he's not thinking as much with his mind right now. He's thinking with a different part of his body still. So um, I think you can get away with, with making mistakes, and he'll make more mistakes too. Um, now if you do that same thing on December 27th, after he's been hunted for three months or something like that, um, then he's probably going to be a lot more apt to, to get more nervous because he's been chased around for months and months. And when he does have something happen again, now he's like, dang it, I'm stay, staying away from this. I'm sick of it. <laughs> and that um, could actually affect you for the following year. I it, mean, he could, could he could decide to leave and just not come back. Yeah, you just don't know. Um, so, so that would be another thing. Time of year, the kind of spook. Um, and then I guess the only other thing that might influence the impact of this too would just be what the general pr- hunting pressure is around you. So like if you're the only person hunting this larger area and so you're the only person applying any hunting pressure um, and you've been keeping your pressure pretty low to this point, you might be able to, again, get away with more. Um, while on the other hand, if you've been hunting like crazy and you're spooking deer every night and your neighbors are right there and they're spooking deer. So if this buck, if this is like the 10th negative encounter he's had with something, you know, again, that might be much more likely to be a tipping point and change his behavior, change his location drastically, much more so unless this is just the second time it's ever happened. Um, so I would think about all those things. You know, in my case with the Holyfield uh, incident, um, so he spooked when he saw the movement in the tree. He caught me in the tree moving. Um, so I decided not to hunt that stand again for a while, but I still hunted nearby. So he spooked out of that tree after seeing me three days later, I came back in, in the morning and hunted a stand about 80, uh, maybe a hundred yards away, 80 to a hundred yards away. And I saw him, that was that day that I had him at 40 yards, but behind the brush. Um, so he maybe didn't go by that stand, but he was right in the wheelhouse still. So you can adjust. Um, and then, (laughs) that day the day i had him at 40 yards i didn't mention this earlier so he's a he comes through doesn't step into my main shooting lane goes you know nine ten yards back into the brush from it um he's walking through this brush and i grunted to him no did i grunt no i used the can call i tried to can call a couple times and he stopped and then as he stopped looking my direction another buck a young two-year-old comes just blasting by me comes running by past me and goes off to my right ahead of holyfield and then I'm not paying attention to him at all, though. I'm just watching Holyfield standing here. Well, like 
20 seconds later or something, Holyfield's still standing there kind of just looking around. That buck come, comes running back, but this time runs right by Holyfield. And then as he gets past him, that buck starts blowing, and he runs off. So that buck, I don't know if he saw something he didn't like or if he had made his way all the way downwind of me, um, but something made that two-year-old not happy. And so he went running off blowing, and then Holyfield followed him. Holyfield didn't, like, run off or bound or really spook, but he just kind of walked off that direction. So, you know, he kind of got an idea of, eh, something's not quite right here, maybe. Um, Well, even though that happened, I still saw him following a doe four hours later, 65 yards away from me. And then the next night I saw him 150 yards from there in daylight. And the next night I saw him 250 yards away there during daylight. So I think that's a product of the fact that even though there's, there was a few encounters where I screwed up or, you know, that one time I screwed up, I've, I've been very, very careful about my wind. I've been very, very careful about how I get in and out. Um, so to get into these spots that I'm hunting that are in the, like the core of this property, I've been heading in to get to my tree stand two hours before daylight. I've been taking a very, very long route that goes through a deep swamp to avoid any fields, any food sources. So it's taken me like a long time to get to my tree stand, but I'm trying to not spook deer in the mornings getting in. And then every evening from this area, I've been able to swindle my wife into picking me up in uh, my truck or my ATV. Um, so Snipe. then my my exit route every time is is pretty good. Like deer are getting bumped off the field, but it's by a vehicle and it's not by a human being walking around. So they're never associating, you know, a yeah. hunter with that impact. Um, so I think that was of all the things I've done, I think that maybe made one of the biggest differences and at least allowing me to still be seeing him, like to still keep him daylight active. Um, after so many hunts in here, I know back in the day before I started doing this, I never would have had that happen. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my two cents on it. I don't know. Anything, anything else worth adding, Matt? No, I, you know, I liked how he got aggressive and he got the pictures. He went and got a climber and he went into the timber, you know, and, yeah. and kind of went to the deer. And this time of year, you can do that. Uh, I don't think you can do that early season and late season quite as easily. I'm sure there are guys out there that succeed doing that, but you just tend to play it a little more safe. But I like that he, I mean, he made the call. He got aggressive. And the only thing I thought was odd was it, when he kept saying that, the the buck he felt like that buck was blowing at the does i don't think they would i mean i don't know what instance there would be where that he would be that buck would be blowing at the does so i mean when i heard it it kind of raised i raised my eyebrow thinking well he was probably blowing at the guy yeah but i don't know the guy's situation if the wind what the wind was doing or how where he was sitting but that was kind of my first instinct is there's doesn't make sense that he was blowing at the does necessarily but i don't know did did do you catch on to that part too at all? Yeah, I kind of just assumed like he was. I my assumption was that he was just saying the buck blew and spooked out the field and made everything spook, you know. So assuming that he was, like you said, probably spooked from catching wind or something yeah. or some something yeah. spooked that buck, and then yeah. the buck started blowing and then he just you know cleared the field probably. Gotcha. Um, at least that's the way I took it. But yeah, to your point, gotcha. I yeah. I really like the the fact that he had that intel from the sighting or from the trial camera. And then he pushed right in there, was aggressive. That's that's the way to do it, I think, in November. Um, in those kind, many times in those kinds of cases, and I think still, you know, as this podcast is going out, we're still in November, and even though we're on the back half of the month, you still can catch that rutting activity. You still can be aggressive. Um, you get these big old bucks still on their feet late in the month, trying to catch those final does. So I think, don't give up, right? I think it's still time to grind at it if you can. And um, man, 
hopefully good things are still to come, I'd say. And there's some states like Illinois historically, in our opinion anyways, just by kind of watching our teams and, and hunting there ourselves, it only gets good mid to to late October or November anyhow a lot of times. I mean, you can, you know, there, obviously there's good rutting activity, but historically right around that first gun season, which had just happened here, um, I mean, that those are good periods to, to go. And then the second gun comes in, I think this year it's November 30th through December 3rd. Like that'll be a good period right after Thanksgiving there. That's usually a good period as well. So um, you just typically by then you're changing your tactics a little bit. You're They're going back to food. They're back, going back to green. Uh, so just looking at the calendar and looking forward, you might have to switch, depending on where you're at, you might have to switch up your tactics a little bit uh, moving forward here. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've experienced some good things during that, you know, Thanksgiving week or just afterwards. And I've heard of so many guys that, that have killed big mature bucks at that time period. So I, uh, I'm going to be heading down to Ohio post Thanksgiving, um, and try to take advantage of that, uh, that perspective movement myself. So, uh, yeah. I got my fingers crossed. Good luck. I'm heading to Illinois. So we got a lease over there. I'm going to try to, I got a muzzleloader tag, but in Illinois, the muzzleloader tag you can use in the second gun season and then in the muzzleloader season. So based on the way it reads there on the back of the tag. So I'm going to try to use my muzzleloader tag and during that second firearm season, but that's the first chance you can use your muzzleloader tag, you know, in Illinois. So anyways, cool. I'm going to try that and we'll see what we get. And actually tomorrow when we're filming this Monday, the what's today's date, the 20th, I'm going ahead to dad's tomorrow because Missouri's rifle season, firearm season ends tomorrow, Tuesday, the 21st. And I'm going to try one last ditch effort at somewhere really good to hunt <laughs> to try to, to, to get something on the ground because this season, boy, luckily they don't make 13 with just Terry and I because <laughs> it'd be a season of nothing so far. <laughs> Your dad hasn't killed anything either? No, he hasn't. And he's... Ugh. He's been after a couple of really good deer. Nothing, you know, no, nothing like what Mark's accustomed to in Iowa, of course, but really, really nice deer for his farm. And, you know, he usually picks one or two deer that are the oldest deer on his place, the biggest deer on his place, and then he'll pass a bunch of really good deer to get to that deer. He hadn't caught up with him yet, and he's had a few little setbacks, and hopefully here in the next podcast or two we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more. But, um he hadn't gotten it done yet, but he's he's still grinding. So hopefully he'll have some luck here. That's all you can do. Keep on grinding. That's so, right. well, I guess with that, what do you think? Should we wrap this one up? Let's go kill something, brother. <laughs> I think that's a good plan. Well, then I'll just leave our listeners and viewers with my quick update, which is that if you'd like to send in a question of your own for a future episode, you can do that by going over to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild and you can also subscribe to the audio version of this podcast over on itunes or stitcher or google play or wherever you like to get your podcasts and then if you want to follow along with my hunts for holyfield and any of that stuff you can find it all on wiredhunt.com or the different wired hunt social media platforms what about you matt as always, you can watch this podcast and so many more on the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. And while you're over there, please hit subscribe. We're, uh, we're trying to reach 100,000 subscribers. We're giving a brand new PSE away. It's a cool deal, cool giveaway. Would love to have you guys join us because there's so much more great original content. We're pumping out more stuff now than we ever have that's just for YouTube. So uh, we're tr really trying to embrace 
that audience, just like we have embraced Outdoor Channel and Pursuit Channel in the past, and our DVD, uh, you know, subscribers or users back in the day, we're really embracing this YouTube channel, and we're putting a lot of original content. So by all means, please check us out, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy what you're watching. Yeah, I just saw you guys post a video about Mark uh, explaining his new food plot plans on his new farm in Missouri. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that one. That was good. We have another one that we're fixing to do. So he bought two farms in Missouri, a 97-acre piece and a 120-acre piece in the off-season. And he did a re- – him and Wade both did a really, really good job of producing all the work that they were putting into the plot and why. And then it's cool because now we're seeing kind of the fruits of their labor. Uh, my 84-year-old grandmother, my Aunt Linda, who is Jared and Justin Lurk's uh, mother, they both killed – bucks on one of the places the 97 acre farm and then wage wife kyle she killed a buck uh, this is all during rifle season here she killed a buck on the 120 acre piece so it kind of finishes the storylines for all the work that wow. we uh, that they put into these spots so the uh, the 120 i think once we get back from thanksgiving break i think we're going to be editing that um that piece and putting it on youtube so cool. be on the lookout for it it's pretty cool Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. It was neat, too, because, you know, Mark was on one of our episodes this summer where he was talking to us about those properties and what he was doing. So it was neat to to get to see it now. So I'm looking forward to that next one as well. Good deal. I guess with that, uh, we'll wrap this up. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. All right, guys. Everybody, please be safe. Wear those safety harnesses.